Welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Come on to the theatre. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to episode 50 of the Manx Theatre Podcast with me, Neil Callan. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our previous episodes. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome along and thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we like to try and keep you up to date with what's going on in theatre on the Isle of Man chatting to the cast and creatives of upcoming shows to find out a little bit more about the shows and the people behind them, and also what our Manx-born and bred performers are doing further afield. Coming up on this week's podcast... In a change to the normal format, and in honour of the 50th episode, today's guest is not here to promote a show, but is here for the first in a new series of Manx Theatre Legends, where we celebrate the theatrical careers of those who are no longer performing. These episodes will be peppered in amongst our usual episodes. You can still listen to all of our previous 49 episodes through all the usual podcast outlets and at manxradio.com forward slash podcasts. While you're there, make sure to give us a like and click subscribe or follow or whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you never miss an episode. Well, 2023 is over and a new year of wonderful productions lies ahead of us. In 2023, we saw Young Frankenstein from the DCU, Annie Get Your Gun from the Manx Operatic Society, the service players brought us one man, two governors and witness for the prosecution and a busy week at the Mad for Easter Festival of Plays. We also saw two school productions of six from Castle Russian and St Ninians and Two Feathers gave their inaugural production with the full Monty and Parados returned with the Merchant of Venice in the open air of the Villa Gardens. There was also productions of Joseph and Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat from the Christian World Theatre School and Educating Rita. So far this year, we've got Evita from the DCU to look forward to and we'll be chatting with Lauren Molyneux and Matt Creer about that in the next episode, in just a couple of weeks' time. Then we'll have Oliver from the Manx Operatic Society, the Mad for Easter Festival of Plays again, Jersey Boys from Two Feathers, We Will Rock You from Tailoring Productions, and then at the back end of the year, Centre Stage are bringing School of Rock and Stage Ed are back with their second panto, Dick Whittington. Kensington Arts are looking for children aged 11 plus to take part in their production of the Adams Family School Edition. Auditions will take place during February half-term, and the show itself will be performed during the school summer holidays. For more information, see the Kensington Arts social media pages or email kensingtonarts at gov.im. For the full weekly list of arts activities available, visit their website at kensingtonarts.im. The Isle of Man Government Staff Choir has been renamed the Isle of Man Arts Council Community Choir, and is no longer exclusive to government workers. It's now open to anyone in the community who enjoys singing. The choir rehearses at St George's Church every Wednesday lunchtime from 1.10 to 1.50pm. For further information, contact zoe.shuttleworth at gov.im. And if Wednesday lunchtimes in Douglas don't suit you, Christine Sutcliffe is also setting up a group for people who enjoy just singing, without the pressure of performing or worrying about six-part harmony. They'll be meeting on Monday evenings from 6.15 to 7.15 in Braddon. More details to follow as soon as they become available. Make sure you keep up to date with what's going on between episodes by following Manx Theatre Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and at Manx Theatre Pod on Twitter. Right, down to business. I'm joined in the studio today by the first of our Manx Theatre legends. With iconic roles under his belt such as Judas, Sweeney Todd, Sky Masterson, Fagan, Bill Sykes, amongst many, many others, this is a true gent who's been an inspiration and role model to many performers of my generation. It gives me great pleasure to say, Tony Hawkes, welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Thank you, Neil. Really appreciate that. Tony, it, you've been someone who I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a, a long, long time. And 
the launch of our Manx Theatre Legends feels like the perfect time for that. Well, I've been trying to work out uh, to only just recently how many shows I've been involved in. And I have to say, because of my age, I've forgotten most of them. But, <laughs> but you've quite uh, kindly supplied me with a list of shows that I'm quite honestly, I am absolutely flabbergasted that I've been in so many. How many shows then do you think that you've done over, over the years? Ooh. A, a rough ballpark figure. Probably 70 shows, 70. which is means uh, pantomimes, and yeah. musicals and concerts, plays. And yes, I have to actually go back to old programmes and then all of a sudden I realise, oh, I, I've been in that. <laughs> there are some, obviously, shows that I wish I hadn't been in, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I think not talk that happens about to everyone really, <laughs> yeah. in, this, in the business. Yeah. So, like, yeah, we're saying you've been active in the Max Theatre for over 30 years in, in productions with yeah. the service players, the DCU, Manx Operatic Society, Christine World Theatre School, Dick Ray, Summer Shows and Pantomimes. Like I said, I've been trying to put that list together and you've, you've, you have you've can see that the list just seems to go on and on and on. It's, it's an incredible lineup there. Yes. Uh, and as I say, I'm, I'm amazed that, I can, that I've been involved in such amount of work, joyful work, over the last 30 years or so. What was it that first got you in, involved in theatre? Was it here on the island or was it when you were still in Stoke? Well, I, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent and I was in the Boys' Brigade and a local group had uh, a one-act play at a festival in in the area and they wanted, and it was called Drums of Deliverance and uh, they wanted someone to play the drums. Right. Well, I thought it was sort of playing the drums to a marching beat, mm -hmm. which I'm used to. But of course, it was sort of a voodoo type banging bum, 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 bum. And I was backstage and when the environment and the atmosphere rose and the suspense grew, uh, I was required to sort of beat that drum very loudly. And that's where I actually caught the bug. Right. Uh, I said, oh, I like what they're doing on stage. And so I, I did a... Uh, probably about three or four one-act plays or, and three-act plays, Doctor in the House, for instance. And then in 1969, uh, I came to the Isle of Man. And the first thing I did was look at two th things I wanted to take up. Continue playing football, which was St. George's, and mm -hmm. I did. And also to continue with the theatre. And I was recommended that the service players and my first ever production on the Isle of Man was for the service players and it was Harvey uh, the palooka, the imaginary white rabbit uh, made famous by Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. Yes. And uh, and that's where it came from. And then from service players, there were obviously members within the, the society that uh, were also members of a musical group. Mm -hmm. And so which followed uh, which was Oliver, yeah, and uh, which I played Noah Claypole, uh, and from there on, it's history. Right. So was that with the Max Apparatus Society or the Douglas Choral Union? Uh, my mother, uh, as it was my first yeah. uh, musical society, it was the Choral Union. Right. So I actually did uh, Oliver, followed by Fiddler on the Roof when I played Perchick, the uh, student. Uh, then I had a break with family and so on, and then I returned for Paint Your Wagon 
uh, with the operatic yeah. uh, under the baton of Bert and uh, really that was again you know I thought oh got a family etc etc it might not go any further but indeed it did uh, and that never looked back so it was the the connections then was it that, that made you sort of bring the make the switch from the the plays then through into the, into the musicals or was it something that you always wanted to do anyway I I actually had obviously seen musicals and local theatre in Stoke on Trent but I ne- I thought it was great but I I was so used to performing in plays but once I was asked to go into Oliver uh, again it just it raised the bar for me yeah and as I say. I just enjoyed every minute. And the other thing about, and then I was able to get quite good parts, principal roles, uh, and that was, at those days, was probably because there was a shortage of men. As there ever ever (laughs) Uh, was. (laughs) And probably a shortage of younger men, and I was just in my early 20s. Yeah. So I was quite lucky to sort of get a head start. Yeah. So... Oliver then actually seems to be uh, a role or a show that that seems to have a, a lot of interest for you because you've played it what three times now then at least I probably played I played at I started the first show I would play for the Rowan Tree Singers in uh, Ports Port Erin right and uh, and that was with Sue Bowring and Johnny Bowring yeah yeah um, and again. That was an absolute wonderful experience because the audience are only the first row of the audience is only two feet away from the playing area at the air and out centre. Yeah, and that was absolutely fantastic. And then the Rowan Tree Singers did a thing called Dracula Spectacular, mm-hmm. a musical, uh, Wizard of Oz, and then uh, the sort of bright lights of Douglas and the Gaiety sort of caught my eye, <laughs> uh, and I continued there. And you, um, you. You've done Oliver again with Christine Wilde, didn't you? Oh, yes. I know. There's a funny story with that. Oh, I did Christi- good. Uh, Oliver uh, with Christine Wilde at the villa. Well, you had to because the school is so big. Yes. And they had to accommodate all these children. And I have to say, Christine is just... Shows were magnificent and such, such fun. But we were asked to do a small concert at the old Summerland oh, right. Theatre. And, of course, by this time, I suppose I thought I was quite experienced. Yeah, yeah. And I got on stage, and the music started. Bum, 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 bum. And all I could say was, duh, 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 because I'd forgotten all the words. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's not a great deal of of words for Bill Sykes, but... uh... (laughs) That's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, But again, I love Bill Sykes. And I suppose the parts that you actually grow into or with age... Yeah. Bill Sykes was about right uh, at the time, in the 20s. Ideally, may have been 30s. Mm -hmm. But then again, when Fagan parts came along, of course, they were certainly in 50s and 60s. Yeah. And that suited my sort of... I was cast in the correct sort of era for my age. And uh, again, I played Fagan twice. Right. Bill Bill Sykes twice in different uh, shows throughout the island. Yeah. And no Claypole. I... 
Yes, of course I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's five times then for for yeah for Oliver. Yes. yes. Gosh, are there are there any other shows that you've done multiple times? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, uh, it's because of, the other reason is Oliver comes around every possibly about every eight years. Yeah. Because it's such a wonderful show, mm. and it showcases all the young talent, particularly the uh, the workhouse kids yeah that, that, that's what often their first taste of real theater in the gaiety yeah. so yeah so oliver comes around uh, about every eight years so it's a reg it's a regularly it tickled my taste buds as it were <laughs> um uh, i remember the when i did uh oliver and i wanted to play fagan for the first time mm-hmm. i was away off island on holiday and it was for the choral union yeah and they just actually employed a director called John Cumberledge, yes. who I will continue to say is the best director I have ever worked under. Such attention to detail, uh, both a dancer uh, and actor, and he knew his stuff. And John uh, didn't know me at the time. He's actually from Stoke-on-Trent, but yes. that doesn't mean I favour him because of that. <laughs> yeah. There's and, a kinship there, though, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... What actually happened was I was going on holiday and I wanted to apply for the part to audition. And they said, uh, and said, committee said, well, you could tape it. So my wife, uh, Jackie, yeah. uh, in the lounge, and I stood up against the the curtains, the, of the large curtains, a bit like the gaiety, and uh, <laughs> she taped it for me. Yeah. And it was sent in. And I actually got the part on that. And thereafter, I, I think the next piece uh, was Sweeney. Yeah. Uh, and the core operatic said, um, would you come down? We've got a, a new director, which was John Cumberland. Yes, it was his first show. Yeah, with the and he with said, uh, come on down. Uh, and I thought, oh, it's one of these things where they say, you've been a good servant, Tony. We just like you to come down, have yeah. a piece of, piece of cake and a cup of tea yeah. and meet our new director. Yeah. Well, I was actually, sort of, shall we say, headhunted, yeah. although I had to audition as mm-hmm. well. And uh, John Cumberland had remembered me from Fagan. Yeah. And obviously thought that I was one of two or three that uh, that would be, may make a good Sweeney. And indeed that was what was happened, you know? When yeah. And that was, that was about, what, that'd be about five or six years after, after Oliver? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was about, I think it was about 2000 and, well, no, no, actually I think it was earlier than that. I think it was about 2004, wasn't it? I think it was. It was only a couple of years after yes. Oliver then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I was I was young young Tobias then. <laughs> yes, that was when I really realised that uh, you you were an absolutely fabulous Tobias, who was the little lad kicking round in, in the show, who uh, does me in in the end. Yes, um, what an absolutely fantastic show! And I never the style of that show was so very different. Yeah. It, it it wasn't a not bums on seats Oliver show. No, but to the purest, oh, it was absolutely fabulous. And I was listening to or looked at the DVD of it only just last year, uh, and I just couldn't believe how I managed to get through it yeah. without making a mistake. 
although I, I probably did make one or two. <laughs> but the art in the theatre, as uh, the players will tell you, is actually covering up those mistakes. <laughs> Don't, <laughs> yeah. And I've made a few, and, I, and I've covered up quite a few. Well, David Artis, he's, he has quite a, a reputation for um, for being to be in a position where he can make a mistake, but make that mistake so confidently and deflect it to someone else that the audience thinks that the other person has gone wrong. Uh, and he tells me that he learned that from you. Well, David who? <laughs> David Artis. Artis, Artis. Yes. yes. Oh, yes, yes. Well, I remember David, his first show was Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes. And he played one of the ensemble parts. Mm -hmm. And he actually, I remember, there was a tableau of the Last Supper. And he was actually featured in that. I got photographs of that. But I always used to kid him that I, you know, I taught him everything that he knows. But, of course, that's not true. I mean, I'm delighted <laughs> that I am the first of the this pro this type of program on the legends of the sort of theater before david artists <laughs> so there you are david <laughs> <laughs> well if you look through the list of the roles that you've played and the list of the roles that david's played he has copied you in in, in many of it having played judas and now sweeney todd last year as well well again that grows with your age and the, the era and I'm sure Davey would have been, as a young man, would have been saying, I'd love to build Sykes or, yeah. or Sweeney or whatever. But he's allowed himself that, he's been patient and he's waited and he said, now I'm at the right age to play it. Yeah. Because he is such a professional in that you can't say that David Artis is, is an amateur. He is a true, consummate, professional, a modest, humble player. And I wish I had. I was humble and as modest as he was, or is. It's just a shame he's such a horrible person, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, David talked talked about your um, your powerful performances as as Judas, and just something that obviously he'd tried to emulate himself, just to see the the anguish and the, the whole journey that you'd gone through as as Judas in in the show. I believe. When I was a kid and I wanted to play cowboys and Indians and I was a cowboy, I used to run up and down the pathways as a four-year-old and I used to slap my backside and pretend I was on a horse. Yeah. And I think if you carry, if you have a good imagination mm. and that's what it, you have an imagination and even though you may be embarrassed to sort of be in an everyday situation to sort of go out there and sing or or dance or act i think i found i i'm actually a retired prison officer or mm. prison governor and i found that in my day-to-day -day life it was pressures it, the pressures like most people in work it's yeah. either humdrum exciting but but pressures are there and i felt after five o'clock uh, I wanted some form of release, yeah. And my imagination worked overtime, and it was completely different. And I wanted it to be completely different. And it, stress levels were t so reduced by being in the theatre. Strange enough, replaced by another little bit of a stress yeah. level. Do I remember my lines? Do I know how to when to dance, when to move? Yeah. But imagination and playing it. And not only with your mind and with your voice, 
but with every movement of your body. Yeah. That you feel, if you're playing Fagan, you you feel that he's in his 50s and 60s. Yeah. And once you feel that, I find all the rest follows. And David is is very much the same. But David has a has a style that's sort of laid back and you you could watch his performances forever. But this isn't the David's No, we're not talking about David. Remember talking that. About, <laughs> we're here to talk about you. I mean, I, I, there's an, thinking about what David said about you as, as Judas, I mean, I was a bit young to see you as Judas, unfortunately, and I wish I'd, wish I'd had, but mm. I saw you play Pilate in 2005. Yes. And I could see the same anguish there as, as Pilate, knowing that you have to, to punish Jesus but going through the 40 lashes, but knowing that you didn't really want to do it. And That's right. And 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 again, a, a lot, you, an individual performer uh, has a good idea of what's to be said, what's to be done, how to move, when to move. But a director, and John Cumberlege, I am a bit of a naughty boy, and I probably overplayed a lot of the parts in rehearsal. Yeah. And John Cumberlege would quietly come over to me and say, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't set it like that. And I said, well, I thought it needed a little bit here. And a little... Never you mind, he used to say. <laughs> you do as I'm told. Yeah. And if you've got a good director, a knowledgeable director, yeah. that's exactly the word and definition. He will direct you. And John used to look, half close his eyes and look at you. I can see say, that. I can see that in my yeah. mind. Yeah. And He'd say, I want you to deliver it like this. And he'd close his eyes because John, the director, was imagining mm. the, the part that if he was playing it and he wanted to transport you and transfer that information to you, mm. for you to use it. And yes, he gave you a certain amount of comp blanche to, to do it, but he gave you the basics for which I am be forever grateful. Yeah, I, I remember things like that in rehearsals in... Um in Sweeney Todd and again a few years later when we did Jekyll and Hyde oh, yes. and you have those same sort of things well just to think about it this way and, and what's brought him to that point and you're like, okay well yeah he's doing this and now he's doing that so right absolutely. so that's yeah working out that motivation and yes absolutely and and that's what I and he he shared a director's got so much work to deal simply with sets lights costumes which he did mm -hmm. but he always found time to come down a few levels to the ensemble and actually give them a direction yes uh, absolutely fantastic and what he believed in is exactly what i believe in if the ensemble are good they make you as a principal look even better. better yes and that's again the same goes for backstage crew. Mm. The smoother they are, the quicker they are, the more it reflects in your performance. And for that, again, uh, I just appreciate all the backstage directors, the musicians, you know, um, they, they're the ones who make you look better than you actually are. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a really strong memory that I have from uh, when we did Jekyll and Hyde. So... I myself, along with Sarah Elder and a young lady you may have heard of called Samantha Parks. Uh, indeed. We were the, the alternate cast. That's right. Um, so we were there in case any of the three leads got ill, but we were also promised the Sunday matinee. 
Um, and at the, this point, this was the the biggest. It was the first lead role I had, and the biggest thing that I that I ever played. Yes. And the scene that came up, and it's early doors in the show, and I think our two characters had just had a bit of a heated discussion about yes. what Doctor Jekyll was about to do because you played Sir Danvers Carew. That's correct. Who was my fiance's father, yes. my future father-in-law. So we'd just had a bit of a heated conversation, and then we walk walk into the Board of Governors, which was a pretty huge number and i just remember standing there taking a deep breath thinking this is good here we go this is (laughs) this is this big number this is going to be really hard and you were stood with your back to the audience you had your hand on the end of my desk and just to give me a little like little look a little wink and went you'll be fine and that was it and away we went and that was just just enough just to settle those nerves and 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 calm me into it so i have to have to owe you a humongous thank well there were, as you say, you were, you you played the understudy on that, but it was very very interesting that John allowed you to play it in your strengths mm. and style, which was far different than Matt. Matt. Yeah, Matt Quinn. Yeah, you both played in completely different, and your sort of turmoil of changing from Jack, Jekyll to Hyde, Hyde to Jekyll, was there to see that was one of your biggest strengths because it, it was so believable and the torture and the angst and the the fighting uh that, that you were that the character was putting up was was absolutely excellent but of course there was a a lovely the lovely late susie kelly oh yes who who just mind-blowing and i'm sure samantha barker's Barks would uh, forgive me to say, but Susie Kelly was just tremendous, absolutely tremendous. And so was Sam. But Sam, of course, may well have got the part Mm -hmm. had she not been so young. Yes. And John was saying, the director was saying, I'm going to give you a chance because I think you're well worth it. And of course. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she was only just 16 at the time. Yeah. And I, I could. And one, if you're going to have an understudy, my goodness me, Sam Barks was just fab. She was, wasn't she? Uh, but yeah, fabulous show. But remember that the fire brigade came in. Yes, and we were supposed to have burn uh, Bunsen burners and type yeah. of things in the laboratory. Yeah, and the fire brigade came in and said, "No, you ain't," because <laughs> yeah, it's a listed building. <laughs> However, we did have it on the Thursday night, which was my dress rehearsal, which was recorded. So on my version of the video, I've got all the big flame balls oh. and fires and everything. So it's great. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> so, um. Is there, is, I mean, like I said, we've, we've talked about, you've had many, many, many roles over the years. Mm-hmm. Is there one for you that sits head and shoulders above the rest? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably two or three. Yeah. Professor Higgins and My Fair Lady. Uh-huh. Scrooge. Yes. Sweeney Todd and Bud Flanagan. Yes. And I would say, because they're all so very different from each other, uh, I, I couldn't separate them. And I... Jackie, my wife, was saying when I was rehearsing for My Fair Lady and Professor Higgins, and because I'm from Stoke-on-Trent, and yes. people, some people on the island think I'm from Liverpool because of my accent, of course I had to have a, the most perfect uh, English accent for yes. Professor Higgins. And I, I, in the one, there was one line that contains the word tongue. And, of course, Jackie said, no, it's not tongue, 
It's tongue. <laughs> With the U. And she's been very good. Yes. Because she goes through the script or she sees me in rehearsal and hears me in rehearsal. And she's very good. She just puts a few little bits and pointers there. And uh, hopefully the performance is the better for it. It's great having wives like that, isn't it? <laughs> Emma's yes. the same. Emma's the same for me. Yes, and in the theatre at the same time because we both enjoy the theatre so much. So, you know, she doesn't... She's not too bothered if she knows I'm going to a show or yeah. when I, before I retired anyway. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast with Neil Cullen. So you mentioned Bud Flanagan there. So that was the first of the Taylorian summer shows. And that yes. was a that yes. was a great summer, that one. There was a lot of a lot of fun in that. Uh, again, you know, the other thing you know, with Bud Flanagan was playing... Uh, th- this was not fiction. Yes. Uh, and absolutely amazing and and the amount of costumes mm-hmm. set was just incredible the amount of people within the show was quite high and therefore for every person you had to have a costume or two or three i think both flanagan had 10 costume changes yeah of course matt what's that fella's name <laughs> matt james <laughs> matt james yeah <laughs> uh, uh, played my buddy and of course was basically in the same sort of tuxedo type and yes. hat all the way through and the the hardest thing about that show to begin with was the actual quick change yeah and i was actually giving lines off stage while they're putting my trousers on <laughs> after two performances it's absolutely amazing the the dressers yeah uh, actually get used to dressing you i get used to the fact that i just relax and before you know it, I'm, I've got a minute to spare before yes. going on. Yeah. Uh, again, that's repetition and you're getting better every night. And don't panic. Just and stand there and let them do it. Yeah, don't panic. Uh, yeah, I guess cause there were, I mean, there were so many costumes in there. There was the there was the um, the panto principal boys. There oh. was the jockeys. There was oh. Yeah, uh, army fatigues. Yes. Yeah. Slope arms. Yeah. <laughs> the the big fur coat. Yeah. Uh, it, I, it it was a joy. I, I've again, I've got the memories you have are photographs now, and the people you meet who've been in the show, and I look at them with great pleasure uh, and great emotion. Yeah. And it, you're saying there about you know these these were real people, so you have to sort of there's there's a there's an honesty you have to give to it to, to depict those actual people. And I remember uh, with, with Matt um, getting the accent right for, for, oh, yes. for Chesney. And I just remember hearing him in the wings before going, going yeah. when there's a lull and things are dull. <laughs> and and I think that was probably one of Matt's best performances. It suited him really down to the ground. And if you may remember, there was a relative of either Bud or Matt's character who came over to watch the show. Yes. I was very kind and said that it was how much he enjoyed it. Again, when you know someone's in the audience that has got this attachment yeah. to the characters that you're playing, it doesn't half lift the game. It fires the adrenaline a bit more, doesn't it? It, yeah. Does. Yeah. it does. A bit like when we did uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. And someone says, uh, Patrick's in. Yes. And so, Patrick... Because we knew that uh, Patrick Swayze was on yes. the island. Yes, with Max Operatic, yes. He was doing a, a film. Uh, Keeping Mum with Mr. Rowan Bean, Atkinson. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so somebody heard just at the beginning of before the show opened. Yeah. said, Patrick's in. 
And so everyone went, Patrick Swayze. And Matt came down and said, no, 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 Patrick Taylor. <laughs> see. So we all got on with it. Yeah. And, of course, at the very end, Patrick Swayze came down yeah. and greeted us all. And I remember Kelly Tomlinson. Yes. Cheeky, cheeky lass. She was a dribbling mess. She said, can I kiss you? Yes. And Patrick Swayze says, yes. So, <laughs> and so and Kelly was excellent uh, also in that show. But those were wonderful moments where yeah. professionals come in. And believe me, I, you know, I truly believe that he did enjoy it. Because these professionals probably wouldn't even bother coming backstage. They were yeah. just, all right, I'm off now to my hotel yes. and my uh, gin and tonic. Snuck in and snuck back out again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could just imagine being being sat in, in the circle and coming to watch Jesus Christ Superstar, just look, glancing across and seeing Patrick Swayze. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've had a lot of talk about your powerful performances, but then there's there's been a lot of panto in there as well. There's a, there's a fun side to Tony on stage. Oh well, I, you know, I look at Fagans and whatever you as fun as well yeah, in, yeah. in a in a tongue and cheek way, but yeah, pantos. I mean, I started with service players, yeah, and then we went into a different a different world when David Artis, Sonia Callan, and Gary Chattle mm -hmm. brought on uh, their productions, and I remember doing Peter Pan, yeah, Captain Hook, and I was supposed to do a Michael Jackson. Moonwalk. Well, <laughs> I don't know about a moonwalk. <laughs> uh, because there's one thing definitely that I, in my wiki's part, uh, point is dancing. And, yeah. And uh, I remember the, the audience were laughing, not at the fact that I was doing it well, they were doing it so very badly. <laughs> but again, it was a baddie that yeah. Captain Hook just loved it. And you, that is the interaction because it's the first, you know, you can do musicals and so on yeah, uh, and plays. But when you have a different form of theatre and different genre of actually communicating to the audience, which you're allowed to do on Panto, it's a, it, and that's such, such fun. Yeah. And you probably drift away from time to time from the script just to be a little bit naughty at times and, and afraid <laughs> I was. And, and maybe drifting away because you're not necessarily sure of the lines? Uh, sorry, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> because you're not necessarily sure of the lines. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, I, in in Scrooge, I said to the the prompt, if I say humbug four times, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know, um, and and... and I, in Annie, uh, playing Daddy Warbucks, I forgot my line. And uh, I said, hold on. And this was the uh, my secretary in the yeah. office scene. I said, hold on, I think someone's at the door. <laughs> uh, I go to the side of the stage. The prompt gives me the line. Yeah. And I walk and say, no, nobody there. Now, where were we? <laughs> Which, And of course, I've been given the line. Yeah. I've done that on a couple of occasions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you say, you know, if you do it with confidence, no one ever knows any the wiser. Absolutely. In My Fair Lady, the scenery had a fail, and it was damn, 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 followed by I've grown accustomed to her face. Yeah. What actually happened is the front cloth caught. Yeah. Uh, we, we used to do that quite often, but this the front 
caught up and it didn't and it was hanging on up on one side and i walked on not knowing the front cloth had actually snagged yeah and the audience did because you could sense oh what's he going to do now yeah. and i looked i came on i said my first lines damn damn looked damn <laughs> the only thing you can do then is to walk off yeah because you're going to look a, like a sore thumb waiting for the thing to sort of bang. Yes. I walked off. Moments, only seconds later, it came down. Bang. Yeah. And then I walked on. But the audience, because they're so kind, yeah. they, you could sense they were thinking, oh dear, how is he going to get over this? Walk on. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> And once you delivered those lines and sang the first line, you they knew you were back on the on the horse yeah. and you were riding away. Okay, and it's forgotten about, and away we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you've also you did you did many shows over the years with with Christine Wilde, taking in the sort of the guest spot with yourself and John Craig. Oh yeah, uh, John and I were a great foil uh, to each other. Absolutely loved working with him and as I said even before then there was an, a real legend that unfortunately is not here anymore and that is Wiley McDowell yes and Wiley McDowell myself and John Craig did the sand dance dum, bum, 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 bum. and uh, well that was hilarious because <laughs> I mean Wiley was superb at if anything went wrong yeah he would make it into something that was absolutely brilliant. He yeah. was such a wonderful performer. And John Craig and I just w were amazed at the level of, of his ability. And But they what they did with me, Christine always used to invite me a couple of months before her main rehearsals yeah. so that I could learn the steps because I needed a couple of months before everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And when we did uh, Annie, the yeah. junior sort of show with Christine, I played the weasel. Um, I've forgotten the character's part. But anyway. Rooster. Rooster. Yes. Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> and uh, Rooster was supposed to be having the dance number. Anyway, I was so bad, I basically stayed in the middle and those wonderful Christine Wilde dancers would just dance around me, including your wife, yes. Emma, at yeah. the time. And, uh, well, she wasn't your wife at the time. Not the actually. time, no. But <laughs> <laughs> Far too young. Yeah. And they were wonderful times. And you played you played Bill Sykes with, with Christine as well then, didn't you? Yep. Yep. Bill Sykes, uh, again in the villa, and with her sister, uh, Laura. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Trish Farger, you know, some great movers, dancers, actors, singers. I mean, Trish Farger and Laura. Laura had, uh, Lorna, sorry, it is yes. Lorna. They had their own act and they actually left the Isle of Man for a period of time and did, uh, did the pubs and clubs yes. in the UK. How about on stage pranks? Were you a bit of a, a prankster in your youth? I know I know. in later years you were never keen on, on the, the last night pranks. I was. Uh, I was quite undisciplined. <laughs> but again, because I was male, quite young, they couldn't afford to sack me <laughs> they need, needed me <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and they, they they had great patience with me. It was all harmless fun. Yeah. But there is a certain amount of discipline within the theatre that you have to adhere to or else you won't get anywhere. Yeah, that sort of last night prank seems to have, have disappeared in, in recent years, which which is good because oh, yes. I mean, yeah. you, that might be the only time that someone sees the show and they have the right to see the same show as everyone else has done all week long. Yes, yes. The, the thing about in the early days, we, we used to have directors who were... Good directors, but more of a local director. Yeah. But when we started to employ at great expense, the mm-hmm. operatic call union, Taylorian, etc., at great expense directors, we were paying them good money, and they, their time was valuable, mm. and they and the quality of the show would have reflected on those directors. Yes, uh, and so there was, and quite rightly, a lot of discipline in the early days. Corian, I remember, we used to have an optics set <laughs> in the top dressing room of the I ensemble. Think, I've heard these fabled stories of yeah. bars in upstairs dressing rooms. Absolutely, room. you know. And then, of course, the tipple of a lot of actors is is port. Oh, yes. And you have a gargle with the port. And then swallow. And I went into a dressing room with David, who just performed a particular show. I'll give no names, no backdrill. Yeah. And I went into the show, and it was not the best directed show, although we had quality performers on stage. And I went and said, about to say, well done, David. And David said, oh, no. Oh, no, you weren't in tonight. I said, yes. (laughs) He said, "Uh, I would offer you a glass of port, Tony, but we've already drank a bottle (laughs) because it was such a bad show. In actual fact, his cohort next to me said, well, actually, we drank two. Yeah. by the end of the show yeah. so yeah um, yeah I think I know which show that was yeah <laughs> um, so you over you know all these shows that you've done over the years you've you've certainly had a lot of leading ladies who are some of your favourites well I've I've played obviously my wife Jackie so she definitely is my favourite obviously yes yeah. Sarah Holland yeah Mrs Lovett Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney, Sarah Holland is such a talented performer, a talented assistant director. Absolutely stunning. Her memory, she's got a a memory like an elephant. Oh, yes. I made a mistake in Sweeney Todd. The only one I've made (laughs) in this particular show. Yeah, yeah. I missed my line. She covered up wonderfully. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can tell when people lose their their line. You look into their eyes, and their eyeballs shake yeah. like there's an uh, an earthquake. And you think, uh oh. Anyway, she got me out of it. Yeah. And at the end, there is a wonderful finale at the bows. Yes. And we both walk on together, and we walk on, we bow, we look at each other, we bow, and we walk off. She didn't even look at me. She was so angry. <laughs> 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 I mean, with with Sondheim as well, you, you miss a line in that, and you're and, oh, you, and you're gone. Absolutely, there's, there's absolutely. no chance. It travels yeah. so quickly with so many words. There's, there's, yes. Yeah, there's no chance to catch up on that. Yeah, uh, there's there has been quite a, a few leading ladies, Olivia O'Shea yeah. in Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, she was, she was excellent. Lisa Kreisky in Grand Hotel, which was my last music musical. Mm-hmm. Shirley Curry going years back in pantomimes. Yeah. Now she again in her time she could have gone professional. She was superb and a beautiful looking lady. Nicola Brighton, who was my first Nancy 
on the Gaiety stage. Mm -hmm. That was her maiden name, Nicola, Nicola Brighton. Yes. Catherine Tui. Yeah. And I think uh, My Fair Lady was Jane Corkill. Yeah. Who's just, well, we all know what a wonderful singer and actress she is. Yeah. And she was most excellent, as were the other ladies. And probably one or two I've missed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you must have worn some, some great costumes as well. Certainly in the, in the days of John Combledge, there's some fantastic costumes there. But uh, Absolutely. What, what, would, what would be amongst the favourites that you've worn? I actually enjoyed Scrooge. Yeah. Because what John dressed you up, and the costumes that he mostly used were from Bristol Old Vic mm. and from the Shakespeare Company. Yes. I mean, they were kosher. And I was wearing this bed hat mm. and a long pajamas. Uh, well, sorry, smock. Like a nightdress, yeah. Yes, a nightdress. And I was in the dressing room and looked just admiring these costumes. And I turned over this nightcap. Uh, which Scrooge was wearing, and there was a label inside that said Anthony Newley. Wow. So you were wearing costumes that these wonderful performers had worn previously in their own shows. And the costumes, you can put a, a, a nightshirt on and followed by, and leave a nightshirt mm. and don't put the sort of large embroidered heavy duty house coat on yeah. top of that. You can get away with that because a heavy-duty Shakespearean wardrobe uh, coat mm. would probably cost you about, well, an arm and a leg. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, you say, well, we'll cut corners. We'll just put you in a nightshirt. Yeah. That'll do with a, a nightcap. But, of course, John Cumbridge and the operatic committee at the time yeah. said, uh, oh, no. No, no, we will dress you properly. And so you had the nightdress, the bed socks the nightcap, the heavy-duty coat, which you then, you weren't having to imagine you were in a heavy-duty coat in yes. the old days. It was there, it was on you, which only enhanced your character and eventually your performance. Yes, it weighed down, it made you stupid, it made yeah. you, yeah. The ghosts of Christmas past and so on came on, only on for mil moments, yeah. some of them, but they came on in these wonderful costumes. And I remember locals, because it was the first Christmas show that was a Christmas musical, yes. not a pantomime. Yes. And it was the first one, and people had got used to over the previous 10, 15, whatever years, yeah. uh, seen a panto. Mm -hmm. And our first night was just comfortably filled. Yeah. But by two nights, three nights later... I think Scrooge broke many, many records. Wow. I think it might have been broken since then with Les Miserables, etc. Yeah. But at that time, it, it broke the record, and people couldn't get a seat for Love and the Money because it was a different form of... It was still gave the Christmas message yes. and the Christmas feel, that sort of nastiness ending up in this most... One, it's a wonderful, wonderful story, isn't it? Yes. I mean, let's be honest. All the shows that you've done over the years. I mean, that nowadays when you look down, you go down to the Gaiety Theatre and you watch the shows. A lot of them are much more, much more modern. Yes, but obviously you've earlier early days in your your career, you've done a lot of old fashioned shows that just that aren't run anymore. Yes. Pro some probably for very good reasons. Yes, <laughs> but there's if you notice now in the West End, there's there's seems to be a bit of a trend for revivals on old shows. I mean, at the moment you've got Cabaret, which is doing a, a, a storm, and also Guys and Dolls that that. That production at the Bridge Theatre yes. is amazing. Yes. Is there an old show 
that's not done anymore that you would like to see revived? Do you know, I, it's a difficult question. I mean, I don't think there, there's nothing that comes to mind because yeah. this is a different angle question that I'm not really given too much thought about. I saw Hamilton in the West End some last year, or just over a year ago. And it is certainly non doesn't tickle my taste buds at all. Yeah. But I went with my wife and she I know she loved the show. And I went to see it and it was far, far better than I had imagined. Yeah. But this is the modern type of show, a bit of mm. rap and so on. I, I for instance you we had recently on board here the Western show and it And, and you it, get your gun. And you get your gun. Yes. The thing is it was performed extremely well. But this, the script is still old-fashioned. Yeah. And I, I'm saddened by that. Mm. I, I would love to see the Annie Get Your Gun, Calamity Janes, yeah. this, uh, South Pacific, all the real good shows, Rogers and Hammerstein shows, absolutely fabulous music, but that really needs bringing up. Up to date. Up to date. Yeah. And it, that's where it saddens me. You can enjoy, I can go to the theatre now as as a punter, yeah. and I'll sit on the seat, and I'll enjoy many aspects of the show. If it's an old sh show that I'm, it's a little bit old and yeah. stayed. I'll come out of the theatre still happy because what I've seen yeah. and what I do see, and why I retired at the time I did, is I'm seeing new talent. Yeah, young new talent, but better than that. I'm seeing mature talent who've come back into the theatre probably after many years Away. working life and family yeah. coming back. And the talent is just amazing. So I stood back and said, fill your boots. Yeah. So I go and I enjoy it. So I always come from a th any theatre show that I see with some positives. And mostly if it's a poor show, for whatever reason, I can say that young man that young lady I'm going to keep an eye out for you because I enjoyed your performance brilliant is there a role then in all of these roles that you have played is there a role that you've not played that you wish you could have had the opportunity to play yes oh was yes, that indeed and it is uh, Les Miserables yeah Thenardier Thenardier yeah absolutely I would love to have done that I auditioned yeah I must have been rubbish because I didn't get it and which is interesting and it, <laughs> it brings you down to earth because yeah. again I'm male uh, two I was of the right age and I had all the experience behind me mm -hmm. you actually do go you can go into auditions quite confident yes too confident. when you look around yeah, yeah. you look at your competition and it's like but it's dog eat dog cutthroat mm. in the professional business and it's not really that much different in the amateur circles the auditioning is basically the same as the yeah. professionals and especially when it's a director you've never worked with before as well that's true which i think that was on lame wasn't it, it was uh, well jeremy Tuston in this the first case time? it wasn't i'd done annie right with him and my next show was les miserables uh, that i auditioned for and a, a chappy called john short mm -hmm. who came up on the blind side yeah but john did a, a an admirable performance uh, you know that was one where i was sitting in the audience rather jealous green eyes <laughs> and thinking should have been me let's see what john does yeah but john blew me away he was good he was very very good but yes i would love to have done i think that is the only one that that i would sort of be keen to have done 
Yeah. But I've no regrets. I'm happy with my lot. Brilliant. Right, Tony, I think we're almost done. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for another hour and a half and this would be the longest podcast that we've ever had <laughs> um, but way back in 2020 just as we came out of the first lockdown neil king and i who was the other presenter at the time we created the manx theater podcast musical theater playlist the idea of this was to create the ultimate musical theater playlist we both put 10 songs in each to get it started then every person that's been on the podcast ever since has picked a song to add to that playlist. Now, these are all songs that are from shows that we've been in, that we've performed, or they just mean something very special to us. Is there a song that you would like to add to the playlist, and and why? Well, it's a difficult one, but um, I think it's a song from Underneath the Arches, sung by Bud Flanagan, The Umbrella Man. Oh, it's a lovely song, that one. And what's what's the what's the reason for that song in particular? Well, the music, that music, particularly musical, was based on true story and true characters and I felt the more I played that part the more I was sort of had this connection to Bud Flanagan Mm -hmm. I I think you you really can do that if you play it with your heart and soul yeah and it's a very busy show with plenty of action and plenty of rip-roaring songs but this is one of the one or two very low-key songs that you could just sit and listen to like you would listen to the pitter-patter of the rain. And it was so atmospheric and it gave you time to just breathe in the character and the sentiment of the songs. Beautiful. Well, Tony, thank you very, very much for joining me on the podcast today. And like I said before, we could talk for hours. Thank you very much for being a role model and an idol for me and also for joining me to be my first Manx Theatre legend. Well, thank you and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. You're listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast. In the next episode, we'll be back to the normal format and chatting with Matt Creer and Lauren Molyneux from the DCU ahead of their production of Avita at the Gaiety Theatre from the 9th to the 17th of February. Well, with that, we bring episode 50 to a close and here is to 50 more. Thanks once again to Tony for joining me on the podcast and being our first Manx Theatre legend. If you'd like to nominate your own Manx Theatre legend, you can contact me through the podcast's social media pages or by email to manxtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like and follow our social media pages to get notifications of upcoming episodes and events. And don't forget to check out the Spotify playlist by searching for Manx Theatre Podcast, and that's all one word. If you have any productions or events that you'd like us to talk about or promote on a future episode, you can contact us through the social media accounts or by email to manxtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. All that remains is to say thanks for listening, and I hope you join me again next time. I've been Neil Cowan, and you've been listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Goodbye. The Manx Theatre Podcast, taking a look behind the scenes of Manx Theatre. For me